The reading this morning uh, is from Acts 2. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see now and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Well, as you heard announced, we've got a baptism coming up next week. And so in advance of that, uh, I'd like to talk about baptism. I want to spend our whole time talking about baptism this morning. I'm not used to, sorry, I'm, never, I'm going to make no eye contact with you guys. You can just <laughs> look at my profile. There's a word for, the, the old churches used to have one of these, like a, same, what's it? Transept, transept, yes, yeah, because the, the old churches used to make a cross, you know. So we got half of it this morning, but anyway, um, yeah, I'm not going to, you're in the cheap seats. Um, so I want to talk about baptism the whole morning, and no introduction, just want to know we've got too much to cover, so three sections, three points, or questions rather, three questions I want to answer, or at least uh, start to answer, address this morning. First, who should be baptized? Second, what's the point of baptism? And then third, what's the meaning of baptism? Who should be baptized? What's the point of baptism? And what's the meaning of baptism? Those will be the, the three sections to this morning's sermon, and we'll take them one at a time. So first, who should be baptized? And uh, I basically just want to take this this first section to apologize to, to most of you here 
because uh, this is going to be one of those sermons that we have to do from time to time where I'm not talking to the majority of you. Um, so ideally, you know, there's something for everybody, but this is one of those weeks where I'm, I'm just going to miss most of you. It doesn't apply to most of you. Um, and I'm sorry for that, but I feel like it's justified in this particular case. So two groups of people I'm not talking to and one group of people that I am talking to. The first group of people that I'm not talking to is those of you who you're not even sure if you're a Christian. You don't know whether you you believe or not. And I don't just mean whether you believe in God or not, but I mean whether you believe in Jesus, whether you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, whether you believe he rose from the dead, whether you believe he ascended into heaven and then is coming back again someday. Those are the, the words of the creed, uh, that the creeds that have been repeated by Christians since the, the very earliest days of the church all the way up until today. And maybe, you know, you hear those words of, of the creeds and you think, well, you know, I'm not so sure, which is fine. And I, and I completely respect that. And one of the things I love about our church is that there are always people here who are just checking things out and aren't sure what they believe yet. And if that ever ceased to be the case, we would just close the doors because that's kind of the whole point in a lot of ways. So if that's you and you're here this morning, glad you're here, but this isn't necessarily directed at you because I'm not going to try to change your mind this morning about whether you believe or not. So that's the first group I'm not talking to. The second group I'm not talking to is those of you who do believe uh, you own this for yourself, again, not just in God, but in Christ. You, you consider yourself a follower of Christ. You trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for your future, not only in this life, but the life to come. And you have already been baptized. You've already made that decision to be baptized as a sign, as a symbol, as a statement of that belief. I'm not talking to you either, because baptism is, in general, with, with certain exceptions, it's a one-time thing. So who I am talking to, and I don't know how many people this is. This may only be five or ten people, and if it is only five or ten people, I'm willing to dedicate this whole sermon to you. Who I am talking to is those of you in the middle, who you do believe, um, even maybe to your own surprise, you've, you've found over the, the past months or years that you, you do believe in Christ. You do increasingly see yourself as a Christian, but you've never made that decision to get baptized for yourself. Now, the, the obvious question that that raises right off the bat is, well, what if I was baptized as a baby by my parents? And which category are you putting me in? And, and the answer to that is it depends. It kind of depends on kind of your story since then. So on the one hand, if you were baptized as a baby and always been in church from the very beginning of your life, and Jesus has always meant something to you. You know, you've always prayed. You've always trusted in Christ. And uh, sure, obviously, you know, you've come to understand it more and deeper as time has, has gone on. But it's just been kind of this, this one consistent arc. Ups and downs, fine. But you've always believed. Well, in that case, I don't think it necessarily makes sense for you to get baptized now as an adult. Because the whole point of baptism is to, to mark a turning point. In your life, and for you, it's not really a turning point. So it would just be kind of arbitrary to do it now just because the preacher says so. Um, so in, in that case, maybe not. But for others of you, and I think this is probably the majority of you in this situation, you're baptized as a baby by your parents, and then 
it never meant anything to you at all uh, growing up. You know, it was something just that you did for them, especially once you got to be older in high school or college. Maybe you even disavowed belief. You know, you, maybe it wasn't like a statement that you made publicly, but in your own mind and heart, you thought, you know, I'm kind of done with all that. And then, in, again, in recent months or in recent years, all of a sudden it's clicking. And you find that, that this is true of you. This is true for you. Well, in that case, I think that it's a mistake not to be baptized. And it's in no way disrespectful to, you know, I think sometimes people feel like, well, you know, if I got baptized now as an adult, I'd be saying to my parents, like, well, that one didn't count. You know, that one, well, that one wasn't good enough. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's, what it really is is it's the, the uh, completion, the consummation of the intentions that your parents had for you in christening you as a baby to begin with. It's, it's honoring to, to their original intentions. So that's who I'm talking to this morning, and that's who uh, I think, according to Scripture, should be baptized. Those of you who believe, but you've never said it. You've never made that statement with baptism. And that's the first section of the sermon, who should be baptized. Went quickly for that one because I want to save time for the, the second or the latter two uh, questions. So question number two. First, who should be baptized? Secondly, this morning, what is the point of baptism? What's the point of baptism? And, and by the point, what I, what I want to talk about this in the second section is practically, pragmatically, what does it accomplish in a person's life? You know, what, what does it achieve? The answer to that is, Baptism is the only scripturally endorsed way of saying, I'm in. Now, there's all sorts of non-scripturally endorsed ways, you know, so you could uh, check a box on the back of a card, you could raise your hand, you could come forward at the end of the sermon, you know, a preacher says, come on down to the front. Fine, but none of those are in the Bible. The only scripturally endorsed way for saying, I'm in, I want this, I'm crossing the line, there's only one. And it's baptism. And it's been that way since day one of the church. That's what you saw in the passage that Gary, heard, Gary read earlier. Uh, first sermon ever preached, the inaugural address of the church delivered by Peter, which if you hear last week, uh, this bears special significance for you. Because we looked at last week how Peter was just a mess. He was broken down. He was crumbled. He was in a heap. But that Jesus raises him back up again for service. Well, look here. You, you turn the page. You, you actually literally turn the page. You're at the end of the Gospel of John, and you know it's this scene with Jesus. Next page is the book of Acts, and here Peter is preaching to this huge crowd about Jesus. And what it says at the end of the sermon is it says they were, quote, cut to the heart. Those of you that have been around the church for any length of time, you know that's one of my favorite phrases in the whole Bible, cut to the heart. And what it means is they, they listened to a sermon and they thought that's true. They, they felt it in their bones. That's true. What he just said about Jesus is true. And there's only one way that that can happen, which is by the Spirit of God. Because his thesis that this rabbi was executed and then rose from the dead and ascended into heaven is coming back again and forgiveness of sins is, is through him... That thesis is unprovable. It doesn't matter how good your arguments are. And Peter did make some arguments. 
it doesn't matter how, how nice your presentation is, you're never going to be able to convince anyone of that unless God's Spirit does something. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it has to do with me, and it has to do with you, and it has to do with the relationship between us, and it has to do with what we're doing right now. Because some of you have been coming to this church on Sundays, and you have felt it. You've, you've been moved by something I've said. You've felt the, the truth of this message that we're preaching in one way or another, one different version of it every week. Well, guess what? I didn't do that. You know, I, I, there's no way for me to convince you of the truth of this because it's just too out there. I didn't do that. If that happened to you, if you felt that, if you had that experience, it's because the sharp blade of God's voice, God's word, God's presence, God's spirit has cut you, has cut you to the heart. And if that's happened to you, then there's a next step. You have to do something about it. Because what, what happens in the passage, you heard it read, they, it says they were cut to the heart, and then they went to Peter and they said, so what do we do now? What shall we do? And there's this misconception that, okay, so I was cut to the heart, so that's it. So that experience of being cut to the heart, that in and of itself, I guess I'm a Christian now. No, that's, that's not it. You have to say it. You have to make the statement. And the way you make that statement, there's only, like I said, only one way in the Bible is through baptism. They say to Peter, what should we do? And he says, you get baptized. Now that you've been cut to the heart, the way you make that statement, the way you say that you're in is through baptism. You say, well, why? You know, why, does the, why do we need this ritual? Because people today don't like rituals. Unless you're like, you know, kind of cool and retro and you like rituals because, you know, you think it's groovy. But uh, for most modern people, they don't like rituals. They're like, well, what's the point? You know, what's, what's the point? Why do we have to have this public ceremony? You know, this, this, this religious ritual to say it. God knows what's in my heart. Isn't that what, what matters? Why do I get up in front of a, a bunch of people and get wet? Why does that mean anything? And, and the answer to that is because that's just how we are as humans. We need public formal ceremonies to say things. So if you think about getting married, what makes you married? Uh, I mean, legally, what makes you married is obviously this dumb piece of paper. But spiritually, what makes you married is an internal commitment. It's two people in their hearts saying, you and me, forever, I want to be united with you, I'm sticking with you no matter what. That's an internal commitment, something that happens in your heart. But to say that, you have this big wedding. You invite all these people, and you have a big public ceremony. And if you say, well, let's just get married without the wedding, it raises some red flags. Why? What's your problem with the wedding? Same thing with baptism. Baptism is the wedding ceremony of the Christian faith. So can you technically be a Christian without being baptized? Well, maybe. You know, I don't really know. It's kind of a silly question. The better question is, why wouldn't you want to be? Why wouldn't you want to have this public declaration and this wedding? It's the way that you say it. And when you stand up and say in front of all these people, from this day forward, forevermore, I want to be a follower of Christ all of a sudden, that's a very different thing than just coming to church. That phrase, uh, follower of Christ, following Jesus, it's not a phrase we, we use a lot at our church. 
in part because the whole uh, concept of following someone today has been pretty diluted. Obviously, the main place you hear that phrase, I'm following so-and-so, is in the context of social media. And there, all it means is you just clicked, you know? All you have to do to follow somebody is just click. And then you get their uh, insights and their updates and pictures of what they're about to eat. And <laughs> you, and it's mixed in. The, the, the important thing is it's mixed in with everybody else that you're following. Because nobody just follows one person on social media. So you've got the, your feed and you, this new person that you're following is, is mixed in with everybody else. And it's all there together. So just to say something harsh and just hear me out. That is the exact sense in which some of you follow Jesus. He's in your feed. You subscribe to him. And you look at what he says in context of what everybody else says. And if he says something you like and you think is cool, then you'll you'll like it. You know, you'll retweet it maybe. But if he says something you don't like, well, you just ignore it. You just go on to the next person. Because, you know, there's plenty of other people in your feed, too. And that's not following in the biblical sense of the word. It's something very different, which is what baptism is about. It's making this, this uh, commitment. It's saying, I'm, I'm not just following this person in the social media sense. I'm following them in the biblical sense. I'm married to him. I'm married to Christ. It's a wedding, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. God pictures his relationship with us like a marriage. I heard a good illustration of this recently, the difference between kind of true commitment versus being just a, a fan. And this guy was talking about uh, this experience he had at a football game. So he, he had a friend that's actually in the NFL. And so his friend invited uh, he and his family to the game, and he said, sit with my family. You know, So, so he was sitting there with the players' family at this NFL game. He was really proud that his buddies in the NFL. And so he even wore his friend's jersey that day to the game. And his friend was a starter on the team, so he was looking around the stadium and seeing that a lot of people had the jersey on. He was kind of like counting how many people were wearing his buddy's jersey, and that made him feel even more proud. And then he said he had this epiphany where he looked down the row at his, his buddy's family, and he realized that his friend's wife wasn't wearing his jersey. She wasn't wearing her own husband's jersey. And he said he, he realized that the reason she wasn't wearing his jersey is because she look, he looked down at her hand. And she wasn't wearing his jersey because she was wearing his ring. She was wearing his wedding ring. Lots of old fat guys wearing the, the guy's jersey, you know, spilling beer on it. And when they get home, they take it off and throw it in the hamper. And that's it. But when she gets home, she doesn't take off the ring. Because she's married to him inside and outside the stadium. She's married to him whether he catches the ball or drops the ball. She's married to him when or lose. She's married to him, in the words of the, the old vows, for better or or worse. And it's like that with Jesus. You know, it's one thing to, to wear the jersey on Sundays and to have the experience on Sundays. You know, we come to the stadium and have this, this nice experience with all the other fans and then take it off when you get home. 
It's a very different thing to actually be married to him, no matter what. And what baptism is, is it's trading a jersey for a ring. It's saying, this isn't just a Sunday thing for me, this is an everyday thing for me. That's the point of it. That's the, that's the, the second section of the sermon. The point of baptism is it's the only way in the Bible to say that you're in, to say that you're committed. So now with the time we have left, let's move on to the third and final section of the, the sermon, which is the meaning, the meaning of baptism. And what I want to do in this last section is answer the question, okay, so that, that's the practical purpose of it. You know, I get baptized to make this statement, and this commitment is this public ceremony, and I, I kind of see the point of that, the purpose of that. But what, what that leaves unanswered is, well, why baptism in particular? Why going under a body of water and coming back up again? You know, why that? Because it, it could be anything, any public ceremony. Uh, you know, it could be you spit on your palm and shake the preacher's hand, you know, or prick your finger and sign in blood. Or So what is it with this ceremony? What is, was, was it with, with the water? And what this is getting at, this last section, is the kind of the symbolism and meaning and the way God set things up. Because we've talked before about this, God is an artist. And so as an artist, he, he uses images to say what he wants to say. And if you change it, if you change the images, you change the meaning. It's like saying to a painter, well, why don't you just use red there instead of blue? Well, if the painter did that, then the painting wouldn't say what the painter wanted the painting to say. It's the same thing with God. He gives us these images and these symbols, and if you mess with it, then it lacks the meaning that he intended it to have. So the, the most obvious example, parallel example, is with communion. He gives us two main symbols, two main physical symbols for these spiritual realities. Uh, baptism is one, but communion is the other, which we, we of course, observe every week here. And, you know, you, so we, we say all the time that the, the wine represents Christ's blood, and the bread represents his body. And you say, well, why can't I take communion instead of with, with bread and wine? Why can't I do it with beer and fries? You know, why, why can't that be my, my Eucharist? Now, some of you, even just me saying that, probably offended you. You know, it seems like sacrilegious. And let me just point out, it's not. It's not sacrilegious at all. Because there's nothing holier about wine than beer. There's nothing holier about uh, bread than fries so it's not that it's sacrilegious it's all just food who cares but it is wrong it is wrong it is subpar it is inferior to take communion with beer and fries and the answer is because then it doesn't say what god meant it to say those symbols were picked for a very particular reason and if you mess with it then you mess up the meaning same thing with baptism this idea of going into the water and coming back out of the water, it means something, which is why at our church, you know, so through the, through the years as a practical necessity, churches have said, well, okay, so how much water do we need to use? You know, so first it's like, maybe we can pour a pitcher of water over their head. And then it's like, well, if we do that, maybe we can just like sprinkle a little water on their forehead. And I, you know, I, fine. Like I'm not saying those baptisms don't count. But the reason we don't do that at our church, and it'll be a lot easier be a lot easier than what we do do, which is bring in this industrial strength kiddie pool and spend two hours filling it up with a hose and everybody has to bring a change of clothes and we have to mop up the wood floor afterwards so it doesn't get damaged. It's this real pain. 
Why? Why go to all that trouble? Because when you do it the way the Bible talks about it, it preserves the symbolism and the meaning. So what is that symbolism and meaning? Three things, three images the Bible gives us for baptism, and we'll just run through these a minute on uh, each of the three, and then that'll be it for this morning. So the Bible says that baptism is a bath, it's a burial, and it's a birth. A bath, a burial, and a birth. So first, it's a bath, and this is the most obvious one. The reason you go all the way under the water is because you want to be cleansed. And not just have your body cleansed, but to have your soul cleansed. To have your sins washed away. You heard that in the passage. They said, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And in other words, if you don't have anything to repent of, you don't have any regrets. If you don't have any mistakes that you'd like washed away, well, you don't need to be baptized. But if you do... Baptism is the way that you're washed clean of that. There's several verses in the, the Bible that talk about this. In particular, there's a couple of verses, one in Hebrews, one in Peter, that say uh, baptism cleanses your conscience. In other words, it, it wipes all that away. And you say, well, I don't know what I think about that. You know, that kind of seems superstitious, kind of silly, that you just go in this body of water and poof, all the things you've ever done wrong are just all washed away. You know, that doesn't seem right or fair. But it is fair because there's other verses of Scripture that talk about why that is. Uh, there's that verse in Revelation that says there's reason that the, the saints have white robes. And that's because they've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And the water of baptism, just like the wine of communion represents Christ's blood, the water of baptism also represents Christ's blood. So you not only drink it, you actually immerse yourself in it. You're, you're bathed in it. The old hymn says... There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. Now, on a logical level, that you know that hymn is just kind of weird and gross. You know, it's like macabre, like something from Stephen King. This fountain filled with blood, and you bathe in it, but. Again, this is where it goes back to being cut to the heart. Because So on one side of me, you can see that on a logical level, yeah, it's kind of weird and gross. But then because I've been cut to the heart, because I have the Holy Spirit in my life, when I hear those words, I get choked up with emotion. Because I know it's true. Not because I've proven it to myself, just because the Spirit has spoken to me and has cut me to the heart. And so it's the same thing for you. It may be odd, it may be strange, But it's kind of this question of, well, if you believe it, how else are you going to wash these guilty stains away? One of the most famous scenes in Western literature is that scene in Macbeth, where Lady Macbeth, after she's murdered her husband, is trying to get the blood off of her hands. You know, out, damned spot. Out, I say. And the reason that scene has endured is because all of us, have blood on our hands in one way or another. All of us, maybe it's not actual blood, but all of us, there's these things we've done that we're deeply ashamed of, and not only the the bad things that we have done, but all these good things that we we knew we were supposed to do and we, we haven't done, all the good that's been left undone. That's blood on your hands too. And what the Bible says is the only way to get the guilty blood off of your hands is to be washed in the innocent blood of Christ. So, 
you know, if, if you don't believe it, fine. Don't get baptized. But I guess my question is, what's your alternate strategy for getting rid of these stains? You know, you're just like Lady Macbeth, just keep scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing. Or, you, you know, you wear clothes to cover up the spot. You know, you turn the right way in pictures so the bad side's never showing. You try to pretend like these things never happened. Fine, if that's the way you want it. But there's another choice, which is you can take this bath, this only bath, that can actually wash those, those stains away. That's the first symbol that the, the Bible uses for talking about baptism. That's why you go in and come out. It's this bath. It's this cleansing. Second, it's a burial. Paul says in Romans 6, he says, you were buried with Christ in baptism. You're buried into his death. And then he also says, you're raised to walk a new life. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But first he says, you were buried with Christ. It's often observed that the uh, death of Christ, you know, Jesus died in our place. Jesus died so that we don't have to. And that's true. That's absolutely true. That's scriptural. But that's only half of the truth. The other half of the truth is not only did, did Jesus die so we don't have to, the other side of the coin is Jesus died to show us how. Jesus died so that we can too, to follow him into death. He says in one place, he says, anyone who wants to be my disciple has to pick up their cross and follow me. In other words, so we talked about following Christ earlier. Well, where are you following him to? You're following him to your own funeral. You're following him to your death. Death in what sense? When, he said, when Jesus says, uh, every, everybody who wants to be my disciple has to pick up their cross, what does that mean? On one level, it's literal, physical death and crucifixion. A lot of the early disciples were crucified like Christ was crucified. But that cannot be primarily what he's talking about there. He can't primarily be talking about physical death and physical crucifixion. Because he says, whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple has to do this. So if th- this is universal. This isn't like the next level of Christianity. This is the only level of Christianity. To be a Christian means to pick up your cross and die. So in what sense? It, it can't be literal because, A, there, there is no crucifixion anymore. B, even if you expand it to just death, you know, being killed for your faith, well, yes, people are still martyred around the world for their faith. But most Christians... In most places and times, no matter what they did, no matter how zealous they were for God, they're not going to get physically killed for their faith. So to, to place the emphasis there is a mistake. You know, I got that growing up sometimes, like, well, would you die for Jesus? Well, it's kind of an irrelevant question. The relevant question is, will you die for Jesus in the sense that he meant it? And the sense that he meant it is this spiritual death. Die to your old self. This faith in yourself, this old sense of identity has to die. Why? Because it, it's this issue of change. You know, How are you actually going to change? When Paul's talking about it in Romans 6, he says, you've died, your old self has died, that's why you don't have to sin anymore. In other words, that's how you can, can be a different and better person. And it's the only way. Because the message of Christianity is not, you know, get back to the idea of the social media following. Take a couple snippets from Jesus and these tweaks. You know, if you, if you do this and do that, you're going to make your life a lot better. It, it's not that at all. The message of Christianity is your only chance is to start completely over. You are so screwed up that the only way you have of conquering that old self that does all these things you don't want to do and thinks all these things you don't want to think and feels all these things you don't want to feel, the only chance you have is not to change that old self, 
but to kill it. You have to put that old self to death with Christ on the cross, and that's what baptism is. It's a funeral. When you get baptized, you're going to your own funeral, and you're burying the old self. But like I said, then you come back up again, and that's the third image that the Bible uses to talk about baptism. It's a bath, it's a burial, but it's also a birth. It's a new birth. So it's a resurrection. You're coming back to life as this new person. When Jesus comes back to life, even even though Jesus was sinless, Jesus is still new and different in all these ways. It's a resurrection from death, and it's also this second birth. You've heard that phrase before, uh, being born again. Well, that's not something that Christians made up. Jesus talks about that. There's this place in John chapter 3 where this uh, famous religious scholar comes and he wants to ask Jesus these questions. But Jesus was thought of as a quack by the religious establishment. So this guy, because he's respected, comes by night. You know, he doesn't want anybody to see him or know that he's there. And he's talking to Jesus, and Jesus interrupts him. He's like, wait, wait, wait. You know, right, that anyone who wants to see the kingdom of God has to be born again. And the the guy is like, well, how can you go into your mother's womb a second time? Jesus is like smacking his forehead and shaking his hand. And he says, he's like, I can't believe somebody as smart as you doesn't get this. So it's the same thing with the, the death. You know, it's not a physical death he's talking about. It's, it's not a physical birth he's talking about. It's a spiritual rebirth. You have to be born again. And the water of baptism then is not only symbolic of a tomb, it's also symbolic of a womb. When you come out of the water, you're being born again. You're starting fresh. There's that verse in Ezekiel where God says, I'm going to take the heart you have out of you, the heart of stone, the heart that can't obey me. I'm going to take it out, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart that's turned toward me. And that's what baptism is a symbol of. That's what baptism in many ways accomplishes. When Jesus comes back up out of the water, uh, the, the Spirit comes in the form of a dove. And that's exactly what Peter says. He says, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's that gift of the Holy Spirit that enables you to be this person you've always wanted to be for the very first time. So it's a a bath. It's a burial. But it's also a birth. And the way you do it says all those things. I want to close by uh, reading from a source that I've Certainly never read from before and probably will never read from again. Uh, country music star, um, which I know most of you don't listen to country. The only redeeming thing about this is it's like real country. It's not like the you know pop country that you, you hear today. But anyway, this is not about country. This is about uh, this, this song. So this is this song about baptism that Randy Travis recorded a number of years ago. And what's great about it is it, it encapsulates everything we just talked about, all the simple. So he says this. It says, the summer breeze made ripples on the pond. Let me stop. One more, one more thing. Uh, what, what's also great about this song, and the reason I love it so much, is because it, it also encapsulates this tension between how mundane and silly, in some sense, these physical symbols are. It's just water. Like I said, it's just some kiddie pool that we ordered off of Amazon. You know, like it's, There's nothing holy about it, but with these, this common bread and this common wine, and this common New York City tap water, something really amazing and beautiful and profound happens. And and that tension is really well encapsulated in this song as well. So it says, The summer breeze 
made ripples on the pond, rattled through the reeds and the willow trees beyond. Daddy in his good hat, Mama in her Sunday dress, washed in pride as I stood there in the water up to my chest. And as the preacher spoke about the cleansing blood, I sank my toes into that East Tennessee mud. And it was down with the old man, up with the new, raised to walk in the way of light and truth. I didn't see no angels, just a few saints on the shore, but I felt like a newborn baby cradled up in the arms of the Lord. Amazing grace, oh how sweet the sound. There was glory in the air, there was dinner on the ground, and my sins, which were many, were washed away and gone, along with a buffalo nickel I forgot to leave at home. But that seemed like such a small, small price to pay for the blessed peace of mind that came to me that day, for it was down with the old man, up with the new, raised to walk in the way of light and truth. I didn't see no angels, just a few saints on the shore, but I felt like a newborn baby cradled up in the arms of the Lord. And that's good. That's what it's about. That's how it happens, and that's how it works. And that is the experience that I want for you. I want you to get to have that experience. So it's very simple. If you you haven't had that experience before, we're doing it next Sunday, June 18th. And just email me this week or write it on the back of your card, and I'll get in touch with you. And you can stand up here in front of the congregation with the, the five or six people that have already said they want to do this and say, I'm in. This is not just true, but it's true for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us these tangible, physical things to grab onto. That it's not just all in our minds and hearts, but that you give us a way with our bodies of making this statement of joining ourselves to you with communion, taking and eating and drinking, and with baptism, immersing ourselves in you, uniting ourselves to you. I pray, just like we were talking about already this morning, that for those here who are ready for this, that they'd be cut to the heart today. That you'd speak to them, that it would be not my words, but your words to them. And that as we celebrate together next week, this new life that can only come from you, you'd you'd give us a sense of how privileged we are to get to participate in this. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.